everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a gorgeous, I think spring is here. Spring Spring has sprung. Um, We have a great show today. Compliments to Nikki for always getting a great lineup of guests. I just want to remind everybody that mess in Ukraine is going on and on and on, so open up your wallets, support those people, because if we don't help them, nobody's going to. All right? That's true. So, today we're joined, of course, by Mitch Berliner from Central Farm Markets. He's got big news. He's having a market baby. We'll He's got a couple market babies. Market babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Sweet is back with us. David is a whiskey. Ep- I suspect that if you opened his veins, whiskey would flow out. I don't think he goes by David. Don't you go by Dave? Uh Dave, David. I'm a David. For dinner. I'm only... a David. I'm a David. We're Davids. Dave, okay. This I is mean, a David. I mean, right. we gotta, we're, we're up to our butts in Davids today. But anyways, uh, David's, uh, uh, one of his big things is managing uh, large-scale uh, tasting events really everywhere across the, the world. Uh, uh, the current one is Whiskey and Barrel Night. We're going to taste some of the whiskeys he's brought in. Mm-hmm. And if we survive, we're, <laughs> we're going to do the rest of the show. Um our friend, he's a restaurateur, he's an awesome chef, he's the 2020 Ramy Chef of the Year, uh, David Deshays, has a fabulous new restaurant called Lardente at, what is it, 200 Mass Avenue? Exactly, yep. yes. Whoa! I was explaining to I'm Andy, good. our producer, how to get there. I was like, second in Mass! But, uh, we're going to talk to him, and um, he brought in his uh, chef de cuisine, Lena Ali. Um, everybody raves about his 40-layer lasagna, it's good, but have you had... The carbonara and the steak. Mm-mm-mm. Because so, they're both really good. We're going to talk about it. All right, now stay with me on this one. Joanna Veltri is chief of the United Nations International Fund for Agricultural Developments, America's liaison, liaison office. Her organization is— Why don't you try saying that again? I'm not going to. I'll drive everybody crazy. <laughs> okay. But they work in, in rural areas around the world in developing countries to address poverty and hunger— and uh, she's going to be with us, and she's going to talk about a, a special something they have cooked up with our friend Chef Rob Rubo. We're going to Oyster Oyster Tuesday. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll hear all about that. And Chef Alam Mendez Florian is in here. He's wounded. He fell off his bike and hurt his shoulder, but he's here today. He's the executive chef at Maze 64 over on 14th Street. And they turned four kinds of maize, or corn, as we say, into fresh. Tacos, tamales, and other corn-based essentials. You're going to hear all about that. And even though I'm... Well, before you go start talking to Mitch, or we need to start talking to Mitch, I just have to say, we have two of the hottest restaurants in D.C. right now in studio, which is pretty exciting for me. Like, two of my absolute favorite restaurants are in studio right now. Uh, So um, get your own show or go out to dinner, one or the other. All right, Mitch Berliner, can we start with you? Did I miss anybody? (laughs) I don't know what she just said. Hi, Mitch. So you've got uh, some new market news to tell us. Yes, indeed. Uh, This is our 11th year, uh, our seasonal market over at Pike and Rose, the Pike Central Farm Market. We're opening this coming Saturday. Mm -hmm. So all the people that we serve in that area, come on down and see us. How many farmers you got? How how, yeah, what are how many vendors do you have now? We have over 30 vendors. We you name it, produce, seafood, charcuterie, meat, poultry, prepared foods, cheeses, dairy, 
course, a good time to also start planting your plants, your herbs, etc. Mm -hmm. We have baked goods, and we always have live music. We have tables for you to enjoy and sit down. And well, wait, can food. I ask a question? Where in Pike and Rose now are you set up? Is it at the same parking lot as always? Um, yeah, we had to make a move halfway into the season last year. Thanks for bringing that up. We're next to Bark Social. <laughs> so you can bring your dog to Bark Social. And Wait, how, how are you? I, people can't see you, but you're actually scratching behind your ear with your foot. That's it's, pretty cool, Mitch. Yeah, it's really exciting, man. Well, you know, people have fleas as well. You know that. So, uh, um, are dogs allowed at your market? Can we bring dogs to Central Farm Markets? Yes, we're one of the very few you are. dog-friendly, pet-friendly markets. You're going to bring Zuki, forget it. for the dogs. <laughs> we have water for the dogs. Mm. So, by all means, it's a family affair, and there's live music at all the markets. So Excellent. Well, us. what's and really exciting is, is that you and Deb are actually coming in studio next week for oh, the first no. time in a very long time because we're going to talk about the new market that is opening down by the stadium, the Half Street Market. So we can't wait to see you and Deb in here next week. Well, thank you. Make sure you have some more of that whiskey there. Yeah, I, drink it yeah we'll keep the whiskey. I'm taking care of you, Mitch. We'll make Don't Dave worry. come back. We're taking care of you. You're in good shape. Good. All, right. All right. Dave Sweet. It's so nice David to have you Sweet. in studio. I think he goes by Dave. So I, I got a question for you. How did you, I mean, what was it, aside from just social drinking, that got you into whiskey this deep? Because you're in deep, man. Uh, yeah, that's an understatement. Um, just about swimming in it. Um <laughs> Uh, it, it was just a, a long business thing. I was in publishing, and uh, somebody said, "Do you want to go to a come? To, you're going to be in New York in April." And I said, uh, "No, I can be." And I said, "What's there?" And they said, "A whiskey tasting." That was about 17 years ago. Wow! And so I took took them over uh, and evolved, mm -hmm. opened up new markets across the country, and have done some around the world, and worked with colleagues in Australia, Europe, and so on. And, and whiskey is the thing now, man. Yeah. But, let's, been. but let's talk about also, since you're beginning in the whiskey industry, the change of whiskey. Because I think, you know, if I think about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there was sort of this like whiskey was a very masculine drink. It was for men. It wasn't something that women were, you know, it wasn't marketed to women. Women weren't supposed to order whiskey. Like it was, it was a man's drink. And that has really evolved. So how are you seeing that in your market? Um, Nikki, you're a, a thousand percent correct. Don't this tell her that, Uncle David. Have we met? David, 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 I should have prepped you before I'm, that. I apologize, Dave. Don't tell um, her that. But uh, no, it, this was Uncle Bob's drink. Uh, it was, you know, an older person. Um, now uh, this is the hot spirit out there. Um, we watch things evolve from scotch to bourbon to whiskeys around the world. Bourbon's always been around, but again, it was kind of the redheaded stepchild. Now all the different whiskeys are integrated. Can you give everybody a breakdown of the differences for those who don't know the difference mm -hmm. between bourbon, scotch, and whiskey? You know, I was just going to ask that, and I was sure you were going to say everybody knows. Good. In, in, in a nutshell, very easily, uh, whiskey's a generic term like wine. Mm. And so uh, uh, bourbon, scotch, Irish whiskey, international whiskeys, Australian whiskey, they're all whiskey. Uh, bourbon has to be made here in the U.S., and there's some other details about it. Scotch, obviously, bottled and made and bottled in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like all Merlots are wine, but not all wines are Merlot. Right. Same, Same exact thing. thing. So they're just different genres of whiskey. Okay, so what did you pour us first? So what you what we have here is Uncle Nearest 1820, which is a, a premium single barrel. 
And what I was hoping to do today was show the different flavors that you can get. Whiskey now is for everybody because there's so many different flavors. Right, so you've got a uh, very typical American whiskey. You've got caramel, um, real butter, butterscotch type mm-hmm. notes. A little uh, kick this, at the end. Yes, this is hot. But I it's did, not. But it's not super hot. It I, doesn't burn the hairs in your nose. No, no. I put a little touch of water it in it. Burn the hair mm-hmm. on my head. Okay. And, All right, uh, we're gonna have to get back to you. Yep. So we need to bring in our next. Guest. Woof. All okay. right. So we met this guy when he was part he was of Michelle Richard's. Team. Yeah, he was still in a diaper, I think. No, he was part he was, of Michelle yeah. Richard's <laughs> team at uh, Citronelle and then Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he opened his first place, Unconventional Diner on 9th Street, which, which has become love. my go-to place for breakfast downtown in the mornings. And now he's got Lardente at 3rd and Mass. And Lardente is a spectacular Italian restaurant. But it's also a huge departure from what you've been doing because we think of you as a French chef. Well, you're a French guy. Well, he's a French, well, you are a French chef, but everything you've executed has been primarily under sort of your your French purview. And this is a departure from that. So right. how did Lodonte uh, come to you? Uh, I've always been a big fan of Italian food in general, but... Um, uh, this is um, something with my partner Eric, and then we we see that in DC market, it was not um, this Italian glamorous restaurant. There is some beautiful, expensive restaurant Italian in the mm-hmm. city, but we want to do just a restaurant with a little bit more casual, where you can get pizza, beautiful pasta, uh, for better price point. And mm-hmm. this is where uh, we start to st- study a little bit. I did a trip uh, in Italy. And uh, we come up with ideas, and uh, after we find the location, and this is how he's born uh, Lardente. But when you were doing your traveling, because there's, it's a massive restaurant mm-hmm. with um, also a massive kitchen, I might add. And Lena, I want to get to you about that. Never too big. Uh, Never. But so, you know, pizza, having an area for pizza, having an area for pasta, having a grill area. I mean, you have all these areas. Were you looking regionally at Italian food and saying, I want to have these regions, or were you looking at it more generally? No. So okay. basically what we did is we designed the menu. So we say we want a category of pizza, a category of pasta, a category of grill, and this is where after all we build the, the kitchen. We, we do by station like that. Mm-hmm. And so what's Lena's role here? Lena, give us a little background on you. She's my boss. Okay. <laughs> I'm just overseeing all the production and taking care of basically the kitchen, the mm-hmm. nice big kitchen. Yeah, but you grew up in the restaurant business, didn't you? Yes, yeah, so yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, my dad's been a chef my whole life pretty much, so it's something I've always kind of been interested in. Mm-hmm. Funny story. Her <laughs> dad worked for Michelle as well. <gasps> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, I worked for him too. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, so, yeah. So it was a no-brainer for you to get into the industry? Um, I tried to go to college. It just didn't work for me. <laughs> it didn't work for me. So um, I went to cooking school. Then I... Uh, I did my stage over at Central. You went to L'Academy, right? Yeah, I went to L'Academy. Mm-hmm. Dearly departed. Yeah, dearly departed L'Academy. Yeah, it was very good. But So then I worked with Chef, and he didn't know he, know he knew my dad. So it wasn't until like maybe a year or two in, into it that he found out who my dad was. So That's wild. Yeah. What a small world. Yeah. Now, But now that you're here uh, at Lardente, how are you, because your role is very important, mm-hmm. so how are you managing all these stations and ec- making sure everything gets executed? I mean, we have actually really great staff. I mean, all those chefs there are, are top tier, like our pizza chef, our grill chef, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we all communicate really well. We all like each other, which but, is rare. So I yeah. want to jump in with it because, you know, when you come to a place like Lardente, the level of expectation is really high, particularly because you make your own pastas. Yes. And my whole thing is it's not just that, you know, somebody makes their own pasta. It's when it's cooked, it doesn't come out either with too much chew or tasting like library paste. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, unsolicited testimonial. That carbonara <laughs> and that bucatini in that carbonara the is, bucatini is really good. perfect. So Every I time. guess we should talk about the lasagna, and then we'll take a quick break. So when you were putting together the lasagna, was it a collaborative event? Was it something you're like, no, 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 we want to do something that's going to make people really talk about this particular dish, or did it just come together naturally? Basically, we always want to have, when you open a restaurant, you want to have these two, three dishes, people come back for it. And it was very important when we start to write down on paper the menu, we want a very strong Caesar salad. We want a very strong lasagna, and we want a very strong tiramisu. Mm-hmm. And this is a sweet dish, I would say, we have worked the most on. Okay. And so after the lasagna, how we do it? We do, do we go classic tomato, mozzarella, ground beef? And of course, it doesn't suit us. So we decide to go with a more luxury. So we decide, okay, let's do a short rib lasagna mm-hmm. and cook with um, truffle cheese mm. and a red wine and, you know, like a sugo. And this is where go, comes the idea. So we try different version. Mm-hmm. And after we say, okay, it looks good. It tastes good, but it's not sexy enough. So this is where we say, okay, let's make it extravagant and start to do more layers. And we start to put it up and we go up to 40 layers. Right. But the thing is falls down, so we put it on a side. This is why it's a cool presentation and we do it on a side way. Right. You know? It's if you ever need help tasting these things, okay. I'm, I'm Lena, you, you know. didn't bring some today? <laughs> uh, okay. um, no, no, but I mean, when you're experimenting, I'm available. We have to take a break. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. More Lardente when we get back. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to David Deshaies and Lena Ali from Lardente, fabulous so, new restaurant. At I want to go Mass. back to um, the tiramisu. Because that is a really dramatic presentation. And I think calling it tiramisu is misleading. Yeah, it looks like a bowling ball on fire. It is a bowling ball on fire. That's what it looks like. Well, a little bowling ball. So, uh, how again, uh, Chef, how did you and your team come up with that concept to really elevate the simple tiramisu? I mean, is that, has that been done anywhere else? Or did you invent that? No, no. So, so basically, is uh, we have first we have to say we have a fantastic pastry chef, uh, Manabu Inui. Mm-hmm. He's... Uh, He's a long-time collaborator for uh, Joël Robuchon. He used to work in Asia, and uh, it's, it's a fantastic pastry chef. He worked for Jean-Georges. He, he is a very strong pastry chef. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we first I hire uh, all the sous-chefs and uh, the pastry chefs three, four months before we opened Lardente. Mm-hmm. We was working off the kitchen of, at unconventional diner, and every day we was working on a menu, dishes and everything. So he presented us some different versions. I told him it's very important we have a great tiramisu and he presented different versions. And it was absolutely delicious, but not wow enough, not right. sexy enough. And I say, Instagramable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not Instagramable. Imagine a French guy wanting something to be sexy. Mm. <laughs> and, 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 what a shocker. And I told him, the tiramisu is terrific, but I want some something special. It's, it's a classic one. I want more than that. And, I remember to tell him, I don't care if you serve it in a shoes. It has to be special. Right. Cut it on fire and and put some some different stuff inside. Uh, give them a surprise inside. And this is where we try different version. And he come up with a flambe mm. with a ball 
and also a little passion fruit in, in the center to mm. have a little bit of acidity to clean your palate at the end mm. because this mascarpone is very rich. Mm. And this is how it comes, you know, it, it takes over two, three months. And what we are was you happy. pouring on the top? It's, it's, um, um, is it Drambouille? No. No, no, it's a rum. Rum. Yeah. All right. So just because, you know, radio is theater of the mind, it comes out looking like a big chocolate ball. And then the waiters pour rum on top and set it on fire. And the ball melts, melts away like the face in Indiana Jones and the, what was that movie? It's not Indiana Jones. It is Indiana Jones where the Nazi's <laughs> face melts. Okay. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It just disappears and there's the tiramisu inside. I don't think that's the kind of You don't want to eat a Nazi's face. You're not Nazi face eating. For, but it's fabulous. That doesn't it, sell it. It okay. is what it looks like. But um, it's, uh, <laughs> the thing I think about Lardente is when you're sitting there, uh, watching all the different food pass you you're everybody is sort of like what's that what is that and i think that is really what's so strong about the restaurant and then the steak comes out i'm sorry you got to talk about the steak right because we love our bistecca yeah we 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 are working with uh, 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 some beautiful farmers and and we have this 32 ounce bistecca which is a a program of uh, 30 to 45 days dry age. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's really special. We cook it uh, sous vide, then after we put it on a, a wood-burning grill. Mm-hmm. This is what makes all the difference. But I got to be honest with you, the sous vide of the steak, it does make it's- all the difference. Because I now, I now at home, I don't sous vide because I don't, I, I don't need to do that. I go to you for that. But I slow roast my steaks at home. So I slow roast them and then sear them on the grill. And I'm like, I cannot believe how I've been cooking my steaks so poorly all my life. Well, yeah. No, but back just, in the day, you just slap it on the grill, slap it off the grill, and yeah, and hope know. it comes out right. Yeah. No, so uh, no, it's uh, the bistecca is really beautiful. So what you're getting, everybody listening, is that this restaurant's okay. Yeah, I yeah. mean it's good. <laughs> it's way okay. Um, so what about for spring and summer? Is brunch coming up? Lunch coming up? What? Because that restaurant screams brunch. you should eat lunch here. Lunch. Yeah, yeah. We well, we, you're right we, off Capitol Hill. We're right. working on it. Yes, it's open. For the last six months, we, we did a good first opening, but we know now we are going to enter phase two mm-hmm. and we are working uh, to build this um, uh, glass patio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be 80 seat patio outside. Gorgeous. Uh, completely covered because for all a, season. You have a few, uh, huge courtyard there. Yes. So that's and, fabulous. And, and we know this is, we're working on finalize the plan right now and start construction the next two months. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, we, we are very excited by that. So, uh, and definitely open lunch and brunch. Uh, brunch probably first, then lunch. Okay, great. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys so much well, for coming in. No, we're gonna go. To I want to make sure. Tell everybody where. Give everybody the, the address is. online and right. on the street. Two hundred Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Restaurant Lardente. Yes, L A R D E N T E. Right. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Come yeah. back up to the mic. All right. All right, Mr. Sweet. Tell us. Uh, about the new event that is coming to D.C.? Um, after being gone from D.C. for a couple of years, we're uh-huh. excited to be back. Uh, we've totally changed the format. In the years past, we were at the um, at, at hotels, in typical hotel ballrooms. Uh-huh. And if somebody could pass these down to Nikki and David, please. Um, uh, we have reworked the events, and now that we're Whiskey and Barrel Night, we are at uh, – uh, Dock 5 mm-hmm. over at Union Market. Amazing event space. And all of our events around the country now are at very interesting, cool spaces like this. So um, uh, about 150, maybe 170 different whiskeys now. We yeah. have incorporated a much larger VIP area. So mm-hmm. if you get a VIP ticket, you get to go into a lounge area all evening, come in and out, 
and there's about 35 ultra premium whiskeys. Okay, we're going to get into all that when we come back to you. But tell us what you poured. So what you just what you have here is a 15 year Tamdu. Now this is Scotch. But it's very, it's heavily sherried. It's aged in a sherry it smells barrel. Smells like vanilla. Oh my Am god, I it's crazy? a dessert. Yeah. It's yes. delicious. Very sweet. You get all that fruitiness. I from, have a pour uh, bucket here from the sherry. Who want to pour, so they can try more. Am I right that should I be getting notes of vanilla or no? Uh, yeah, you're going to get Good. a little bit of that from the whiskey. Um, uh, just in in general, vanilla is a, a characteristic vanilla, mm. and so on. Usually, I just say bacon because you know. Right. Okay. Well, that's the bourbon, <laughs> but uh, you're mixing that up with the previous one. Right. But uh, no, this is real fruity, very classic uh, Scotch. Excellent. All right. Thanks so much. Okay, so we'll be back to you in a bit. The United Nations mm-hmm. has formed the International Fund for Agricultural Development, which helps uh, you know countries in rural 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 folks in developing countries. Address Poverty and Hunger. Joanna Veltri is the head of the America's Liaison Office for the UN International Fund for Agricultural Development. And she's been patiently waiting on the uh, online here to say hello. How are you, Joanna? Hi, Joanna. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So that's a mouthful. I mean, when you introduce yourself to people and say, I'm head of, you know, it's like they got to... It's like IFAD. Hello. Yeah, EFAD. EFAD. Oh, even better. EFAD. Yeah. Oh, it's much easier. But All right. So can you tell us a little bit more about the organization and, and the its mission. drive and its mission? Yeah, I can. And you know what? I'd love to link it to what David said at the top of the show where he made he made a plea to support Ukraine and Ukrainians, which is obviously very near and dear to my heart and many mm-hmm. people's hearts in the area. And I think what I'm hoping to highlight is the center of, of what EFAD's work is is uh, targeted towards the population that's having the ancillary effects or the very direct for them effects of the war in Ukraine. Um, Smallholder farmers in developing countries are the most affected, Mm -hmm. to be honest, by the spike in food and energy prices and something that we don't think about on a day-to-day basis, perhaps, but fertilizer prices. Most countries in Sub-Saharan Africa are actually, you know, anywhere from 70 to 90 percent dependent on fertilizer coming out of Ukraine or or Russia. Hmm. So on top of disproportionately feeling those effects, they're also disproportionately feeling climate change effects. And that's that's where we have a lot of... uh, uh, you know, that's where we do our work. That's where we have a lot of impact. What I'd love to tell you guys about is, uh, you know, very quickly is a project we have in Senegal that will loop right back to Chef Rob Ruba. That's um, cool. And basically, you know, to give it, give listeners a sense of what we do, um, we do a lot of our projects. Um, every, every project has a climate change component to it, a climate adaptation uh, component to it. One of our best uh, is a project in Senegal where uh, Senegal had lost over 40% of their mangrove forest barrier. Why does that matter? Um, This phenomenon has been closely linked to uh, rising sea level, and it's erased entire villages along the coastline in Senegal. But after a huge mangrove reforestation project that we did in the Delta of Saloum, in Senegal, mm-hmm. uh, a farmer named Marianne, who's our example that we're putting forward, uh, was able to start her oyster business mm. uh, in the mangrove forest next to her village. And that mangrove forest is very important because it acts as a natural barrier between the sea and the land. Sure. And otherwise, the sea would have taken her village as well. Um, prior to this, you know, Marianne was somebody who did not know how to farm oysters. That was part of the project as well. Now she's making a living out of it. You sort of see where this is going. 
what we do is when we when when we design these pro programs with the countries, we design them to hit as wide a swath of farmers as we can. And you know, when we're talking about the farmers that we help, we're talking about people who generally have like a hectare of land, right? Mm -hmm. Two and a half acres. Um, so very small, uh, small farmers. And that kind of led very naturally into a partnership with uh, Chef Rob Rubba of Oyster Oyster, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, which is right. really a shame because he's much more articulate talking about his values and his approach than I can be. Yeah, but, but honestly, um, wait, 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 let me interrupt for one sec. Yes, Rob is great. And we can always have Rob on the show and he can always talk about that. But I think educating the general public on what IFAD is doing and yeah. how they are doing it and how you're not working, not just with Chef Rob Ruba, but with chefs around the world as a way to eradicate these problems or assist in these problems. You can't eradicate them. That's the problem. But And, and I, I want to jump in with a question Aren't because because if, if the mangrove forests, if you will, that, that line the coast are are being affected by climate change and disappearing. And you're, re I mean, we saw a commercial the other night about a company that is planting a million trees in the areas where the big wildfires have hit out west here in the U.S. But if the climate has changed and things are drying out, you can plant a billion trees. They still ain't going to grow because you got the same problem. You know, let, is let, he right or is he wrong? I am right. I think he's wrong. So, well, I'll say that there's, there's yes and no, right? Mm -hmm. Um, at, when you are planting trees, you are helping, you know, to mitigate climate change over time. So mitigation is a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. But to be clear, I mean, in climate change, usually people talk about two pots of activities, right? There's mitigation, which is trying to stop carbon going into the atmosphere, trying to stop, put the brakes on the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Adaptation, which is what we work on most, most intensively at EFAD, is about adapting to the, the changes that have come. The reality now, of it, right. Right, exactly. Now, rising sea level, sure, that's getting to mangroves. But if you if you are able to, uh, I'll give you an example that's absolutely unrelated. But like the Dutch, right? There is sea level rise, but they are amazing at reclaiming land. There is a way to do it to okay. adapt to rising sea levels. It may be, you know, incomplete. It may be location by location, but that's what we're working on is sort of like country specific or village specific solutions. Um, so, you know, I think another example that I think is kind of, uh, a good one is from El Salvador where, you know, climate change has been leading to, uh, much more difficult, you know, sort of drought and rainforest patterns. So farmers are having, uh, sorry, not rainforest, rainfall uh, right. pattern. And, you know, one of the projects that we did was to, um, receive to provide training in new agricultural practices to help with buying equipment and starting a hydroponics mm. uh, facility for many people. So then, you know, we have this farmer, Iris, who we highlight in our website, and uh, she managed to establish with a bunch of other women a uh, cooperative to grow hydroponic vegetables. And that allows for year-round harvesting instead of facing the droughts and storms that make it difficult to grow crops. Joanna, I'm um, just going to stop you for a sec because we have to yeah. take a break. But, I mean, the education on hydroponics obviously is so necessary. So let us take a quick break. When we come back, we can dig in just a little deeper. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We are on Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking with Joanna Veltri, who is uh, chief of EFADS. <laughs> it's easier. Um, America's liaison office, and, and they work in developing countries to help address 
poverty and hunger and climate change and all that that impact food supplies and it all of that. It just all seems so overwhelming. It sure does. Doesn't it? And I think one of the yeah. points you made is that is that you know you're addressing it you're addressing it, it essentially in a spot nature you know a spot can be hundreds of miles but in a spot nature as opposed to sitting back and being essentially overwhelmed by by the immensity of it um, but like your story in Senegal by giving uh, people the tools uh, they really do learn how to not just uh, sort of uh, deal with climate change but also create their own businesses and be financially successful, which I assume is the ultimate goal, right? Yes. And that's what that's what separates, you know, sort of there. Another thing that people oftentimes talk about in our field is like the need for overlap between humanitarian assistance, like providing food, if you right. will, you know, give you a fish versus teach you to fish. Right. And what we do, which is more on the teach to fish side. Mm-hmm. Um, so IFAD is not a food assistance or a food aid organization, though that is very important in times like the crisis following Ukraine. Right. Um, but we really do go in and help, you know, uh, tens of millions of uh, farmers at a time, basically trying to provide either the inputs that they need in a more sustainable manner or, you know, helping them with the skills, you know, whatever it is that they in particular need. So do you try and, I mean, every day in America, 40 million people go to bed hungry. So we have a hunger problem here Mm -hmm. and we really have a food desert problem in the, in the cities. Now, IFAD's mandate mission will have nothing to do with the United States per se, but is anybody taking sort of the lessons that you're learning and and trans I was going to say transposing or translating them to what happens in in very dense urban areas here where there ain't no food or even to rural areas here are we learning stuff from you that works here you know that is that is such a great question because i think most of us think of it the other way around because technology around farming in the us is so advanced that oftentimes we're trying to figure out how to adapt that technology for a farmer, say in Sub-Saharan Africa or Southeast Asia. Um, But it is true, there are lessons. There are lessons to be learned from some of these climate adaptations. As as you know, just from the nature, and this is me speaking under just Joanna Veltri hat, not the UN hat, but Mm -hmm. we have a lot, you know, fairly uh, wide political divide. And so there's been like this delayed acknowledgement of, climate change as a real thing. You think? Yeah. And, and I mean, we could go down a real rabbit yeah, hole. Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to bring a snowball to I the know, floor of the Senate really someday. No, yeah. As a UN, as a person in the UN, I am not supposed to get political. Right. So, I have no doubt. So I'm making this as uh, as neutral as I can. But in that delayed acknowledgement of, of climate change, I think for an incredibly advanced industrialized country, as we are, we've been rather slow to sort of come to some of these adaptive are you kidding we don't even want to wear masks <laughs> right well so i said we don't even want to wear masks okay so. another rabbit hole yeah. uh so now let's just quickly talk about so now why are you bringing chefs on board what is this program that you're doing and w- what brought you guys to this yeah so the the program is called recipes for change mm-hmm. and uh you know originally i think the 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 first sort of phase of recipes for change was to bring on uh, chefs from around the world to sort of introduce the ingredients that may be new to other areas and to sort of share the recipes that bring the culture of the areas that we serve. Hmm. So partly this is to sort of uh, provide exposure 
to other cultures, other foods, um, and, and that sort of thing. Part of it is also to make sure that we're like cultivating, really cultivating a network of chefs who think like Chef Rob does, right? right. Like thinking about the equity of food distribution, thinking about the sustainable origins of their inputs and ingredients. Um, and so that that is basically where where it came from. And that's why it was such a natural partnership with him. And um, so how does the general public help like participate? Is there a way? Is it just being educated, being knowledgeable? Is that on IFAD? Do you guys need to get more info out there? Like what's the best way for us all to be involved? I do think we need to get more information out there. Uh, we are a small organization and, mm -hmm. you know, so we we do our best to get it out there. But I, but I think that's part of it is just making sure that folks are educated about it. It also, you know, ultimately uh, awareness of a plight makes people understand and want to understand that plight more. Mm -hmm. So if they're reading about, you know, uh, a chef from the Philippines and they're understanding that, you know, there are X number of Filipinos going to sleep hungry at night why is that? What is it that's happening to the various islands in the Philippines from climate change? Right. You know, the, those sorts of questions that they naturally ask from this sort of exposure, I think, gets them invested in, Agreed. Uh, you know, the the mission that we have to sort of help those farmers and find ways to help those farmers. Well, that's amazing. Joanna Veltri, uh, IFAD and Recipes for Change. Is there a place where people we can send people to find out more about this? Yes, absolutely. Um, if you go to efad.org or very simply, you don't have to remember much, but just Google recipes for change Excellent. efad um, and they'll find out more about this. And please explore the site and contact our office. Excellent. Joanna, thank you so much. And for next your time, time you're today. on, we want to know how you end up working for the United Nations in the first right, place. Right, right. We'll That's go down. We'll find out more about you. Thanks so much. Awesome. All right. Excellent. Okay. Thanks so much, Dave guys. Dave Sweet, come back up to All the right. mic. All right. David Sweet, we'll go from. from... He is Dave. He's not Dave. Are you Dave or David? He's Dave. Yes. Okay. <laughs> if we could pass those down. You know, if somebody said Dave, it's time for dinner, or David, it's time for dinner, you'd show up no matter what, right? Okay. You are correct. All right. Okay. Um, so, ooh, more. Uh, what are we drinking? So, what have we got here? Running, again, the tasting events are all about exploring, learning new things. So this is whiskey. He has some. And I, I refilled everyone else's glass. But So you have all three different tastes. So You're not supposed to drive home. By no. the way, I just want to mention that. Well, I, I hear there's a bicycle available, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so whiskey and barrel nights all about exploring different flavors. Remember, I, we we said whiskey was like wine. There's all different types. Mm. So this is from Wales. So it's Pendarin. It's their rich oak release, and this is going to have a lot of that vanilla um, from the barrels and mm -hmm. a little bit more relaxed. So the Pendarin was a Scotch. It, it's essentially Scotch. But made in Wales, so it's Welsh whiskey. Okay. Um, also, uh, a lady distiller, and uh, and female owned. Um, is that they, a coming thing? Because it was a boys' club forever. Is it? Uh, you know. It, it, exactly. It's uh, uh, George Dickel has Nicole Austin, who is knocking down barriers and doing all kinds of cool stuff. Um, women are becoming more and more prevalent in the industry. It's sort of kind of accepted. They have a little bit more sensitive palate. This, and so they're fantastic for the whiskey. For me, is a, I mean, these other two whiskeys, you know, have a great taste, but the burn, I'm not a big burn guy. Right. This is much smoother. What, what is it alcohol content that makes a burn, or is it something else? It's a little bit of the alcohol content, but just also the way the whiskey is matured, the way it's finished. Um, uh, some whiskeys just have that natural, that 
alcohol burn like you said on the back and some are just a lot smoother and that welsh whiskey that pendarin is ridiculously smooth all right you're gonna come back but real quick tell everybody where and when the event is whiskey and barrel night is thursday night starting at uh vip starts at six at uh dock five at union market and you can, tickets are still available at whiskeyandbarrelnight.com right. great all right we'll, we'll get get back, back here at the too. end all right so chef alain mendez florian May is with us. He's got his arm in a sling because he fell off his bike, but he's he's surviving, I oh think. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I remember when – I don't even know if people will remember this. There used to be a commercial where they were talking about something was made from corn, and it was – they, they it would was, say um, – It was a um – a margarine commercial. Uh, they, a margarine commercial, and they would say, and the Native Americans call it maize. Yes. And so, you know, I always thought there was basically two kinds of corn, you know, or three kinds. What, yellow corn, white corn, and the Blue kind corn. of corn they feed cattle. But there are lots of different kinds of corn, right? Yeah, well, in Mexico we have uh, 64 varieties of corn that are growing right now. Mm. So that's the reason we take 64 for, for our restaurant name. I uh, love that. But yeah. so of those varieties, how many do you, do you actually use? Or is are the varieties more regionally based with more, around Mexico? So different regions use different corns. Exactly. Are more okay. regionally based. And each like a small town in Mexico has like a variety that they used to grow since for a lot, a lot of years ago. And is the so soil the soil changes the, soil the taste changed. and the nutrients change it and And also it's something that uh, people have it's like a kind of a heritage that my grandpa used to farm that, so now I'm, I'm my, my father does, my, now I'm doing that, mm -hmm. then my sons, I want to just grow this variety of corns. So it's according which part of, of Mexico are you. For mm -hmm. example, in, in Oaxaca, the part I come from, in, near from, from the city, they grow a lot of bolita variety, a different kind of bolita, like yellow bolita, a blue one, and pink one, mm -hmm. white one. And I mostly grow eating tortillas from yellow bolita. But there are also a lot of other varieties. I remember going to a taco. I was in Ixtapa a million years ago, and I remember going to a taco tasting event. Okay. And it was about the different kinds of corn. It was the first time I, it had ever occurred to me that there were different kinds of corn. And the, 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 the flavor, I'll call them flavor profiles, are so unbelievably different. I mean, nothing tastes like anything else. Okay, wait. And, what am I drinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I bring some some uh, like snacks that we can we, we, we can talk a little bit. Um, I like in in Oaxaca for breakfast Whoa. you just have like chocolate, traditional chocolate. Mm -hmm. It's the whole cacao bean toasted. Wow, it uh, is delicious. Yeah. We mix it with a little bit of cinnamon, some some sugar, just a few sugar, and a little bit of almonds. But so it's not right, heavy. No, it's, it's a very light drink. We we normally drink it with water. This is made with water, mm. so that's the reason it's not that heavy. You don't feel it that. Some milk or cream. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we we also do with with milk, but a traditional uh, mostly is with water. Well, so let's. So you're from Oaxaca, and you know I think there has been a real um, explosion of the understanding of the different Mexican regions, uh, not just locally here in D.C. but nationally and. So coming here to D.C. And, and opening up this restaurant, I know you've been around for a while. What was it that you wanted to present at this restaurant? How did you want to execute your menu as a way to really showcase the foods of where you grew up? Mexico have a lot of food regions. Oaxaca, I am from there, so I will say that is one of the most important, the most important for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's some food that is hardly found outside of Mexico. Even Oaxacan food is hardly found outside of Oaxaca. 
So what we want to do here is uh, like bring some specials from Oaxaca and from other states of Mexico mm -hmm. and try to taste people from uh, from the states. Well, do you but think what does that mean? Like, so for people who don't or who are who not familiar with Oaxacan food, like, is it more fish based, more meat based? Is it is it certain chilies? Like, what are you using that creates the flavors? We, we I, I think I can't uh, talk about a flavor profile from Oaxaca because there is Oaxaca have a sea mountains. It's a lot, a lot of things that you can find. So according to which part of Oaxaca, you're going to find a different profile flavor. Mm -hmm. We use a lot of herbs. We call them uh, like wild herbs. We call them quelites. So we we cook with, we make soups, we make stews, we make a, a lot, a lot of food with that. Uh, so is that meat, what a quelita is? Because it's mentioned in Hotel California. I didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, quelita is like wild herbs that grow around Warm the Warm smell of quelitas rising up to the sky. That is true. <laughs> Rising up in the air. That, whatever. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> don't um, we're gonna take, on don't that mess note, up my thing. We're going to take a quick break. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Chef Alain Mendez Florian from May 64, which is a great Mexican restaurant down on 14th Oaxacan. Street. So it's Oaxacan specifically. You know, before, I can't remember the name. What was the name of the, the Mexican restaurant that, the, that opened that had the butterflies on the wall? It's gone now. Rosa Mexicana. Rosa Mexicana was the first time, and I, okay, I'm a meatball, that it occurred to me, I always thought Tex-Mex was Mexican food. I think a lot of Americans did and still do. And now there's this explosion, and you're bringing this kind of stuff. I mean, even with What's Mez your point? Well, I'm, I'm getting to it, if you okay. would allow me, my mm -hmm. dear. I mean, do you still find people walking in going, you know, you're looking for Tex-Mex food and not understanding what you offer? Um, I think we're, we this is a very very open mind city. So people when they get it's into it's an educated a, consumer. The, when they get into a restaurant, they are open to try what we are offering. Mm -hmm. I used to work before in Alton Alexandra, and we are pretty pretty close uh, from DC, and it was completely different. Um, oh, the, the Potomac River is like the Iron Curtain. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> now there, we have been open almost for six months, and I think if I am saying that two or three guests have been asking for burritos or chimichangas is too much because people is open to to try what we are offering. Mm -hmm. They don't ask for flour tortillas. They see that the person is making fresh corn tortillas in front of them. Well, I so, think we need to tell people that, that when you walk into the space, you have a massive griddle where there are people making tortillas the entire time. So you're watching it get made. It's, it's mesmerizing to watch, quite frankly, but you don't see that a lot in the city. Yeah, I think... For Mexican food, one of the bases is a tortilla. Mm -hmm. if, if you have a good tortilla, you are starting in a, in a good way. Okay. So you, you can have good Mexican food without with a shitty tortilla, you know? Right. So that's the reason we bring it come from Mexico. We mm -hmm. work with some companies in the States that bring hell come from Mexico. We cook it at the restaurant. We grind it at the restaurant. We have a stone meal there. And we make our fresh masa to make their own our own tortillas. All right, let's talk about things that go with it because you have a you have a mezcal room downstairs. Yeah, mm -hmm. we have also a mezcal room. We like Mexico have a lot to offer. And I mean, no competition with the whiskey, <laughs> but we have mezcal. Okay. It's, no, I it, love mezcal. It's 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 different stuff. I, I I'm I grew up with mezcal. I'm from Oaxaca. One of the main states from mezcal in Mexico is Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. So we, we want to bring different mezcal profiles, same as, as whiskey, same as wine. Mezcal have different flavor profiles according to the agave variety that they are using, mm -hmm. according the the terroir, according to the, the environment. Mm -hmm. So we want to 
give people to try some other varieties in order today understand that it's not only a smoky flavor. They say, oh, mezcal is just like a smoky tequila. It is not. It is a different, different flavors. You can find sweet uh, aromas, flower aromas. You can find minerals. You can find herbs. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something very, very interesting. And so if you know the story behind each mezcal, you will fall in love with it. Now, for the mezcal room downstairs, is that a place that you would advise reservations for? Or can you just come in and go down and hang out? There is, there is a, we, we keep a space for walk-ins. Mm -hmm. Also, the idea of the mezcal room is that after you have a, a nice dinner, you can spend some time having a, a cocktail. It's very pretty down there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can go down after dinner. Mm -hmm. You can go down and have a, a mezcal or a cocktail. So that's the reason we don't full of reservations, the mezcal room, so people can request to finish and go to the mezcal room after dinner. We, I, I see in the notes you're doing brunch, and you've got an outdoor patio now, too. Yes, we just opened our patio last where week. Is, where is the patio out front? Out front of the restaurant, oh, yes. Give, how much space do you have out there? We have, a, there is at least like 10, 10 tables there outside. Okay. That's not so bad. So there is quite good space. The weather is really nice right now. So the idea is people can just also just walk and then see, okay, I want to I try different different stuff. So we bring our specials for, for lunch from Mexico and we put it into the brunch for chilaquiles, Azteca is a kind of the uh, chef will kill me. It's kind of Mexican lasagna, but it's a lasagna battle here. No, 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 it's it's yeah, it's uh, it's a way easy to explain it because it's layers of tortilla between a uh, shred chicken, a little bit of we put some ricotta cheese instead of requesón, we put some uh, crema that is fresh, oh fresh God, made crema from the region, mm. and a little bit of, of fresh cheese. So it's everything is cooked slowly and shredded there. So we serve that in a um, guajillo and tomato and a pasote sauce. Mm. It's really, really tasty. The chilaquiles good. are really awesome. To me, a uh, really uh, amazing uh, Sunday lunch is uh, barbacoa tacos. So we have our version of, we have barbacoa tacos based on Oaxacan flavors. Mm -hmm. Pastry, we have also a really nice uh, pastry from, from Mexico. She has been working in several restaurants here in the States, in France. And she's now focused more on, on traditional Mexican Well, so can flavors. we talk about the concha that you brought in today? Yeah. Is this one of the things that you're featuring on brunch? Is it available all the time? I mean, it's, this is like, I said this two weeks ago because we had soft pretzels, which I, I cannot control myself on. But this kind of roll is also like in my wheelhouse. Like, I love <laughs> this kind of bread. So um, is this something that's available at brunch? It's only available at brunch, yes. Our pastry chef, Elisa, she just make it uh, Sunday and, and Saturdays. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to, before... Because there, but it's not a dense roll, right? It's a sort of sweet... It's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit sweet. It's based, based on a lot of butter. Mm -hmm. Everything with butter is better. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so, uh, some vanilla. Uh -huh. uh, and on the top, it's a butter and sugar mix. So mm -hmm. that's the reason they have really nice crust on it. Excellent. Chef, we do have to wrap up. Thank you for bringing all this beautiful stuff. You didn't tell us what this was. What did you bring I, I in? I think just uh, it's, um, ceviche tostada. Mm. It's a, a matchy with a little bit of a tomatillo pico de gallo, some uh, homemade chili mayonnaise, Gorgeous. and a little bit of fried radishes. I cannot wait. That is definitely yeah, we have lunch. to wait till Okay, till we don't have to tell him that. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Chef, tell everybody where they can find you online and on Instagram, please. Yeah, we are on Instagram as May64, mm -hmm. and our restaurant is on 14th Street, 1324. Right. Excellent. Thank you so much. Take care of your shoulder. Okay, Dave Sweet, come back to the mic. Hello. All right. So you've got this big event coming. Let's talk about at Doc Five. Let's talk about like some of the special whiskeys that you're going to have there that the VIPs are going to get that the plebes don't get. Like, let's talk about what it's going to look like for people. 
Um, so you come in and there's going to be about 35, 37 different exhibitors and vendors there. Mm-hmm. It is a full dinner buffet, and we work with uh, yeah, select Because if you're caterers. drinking all that whiskey, you better eat. Yes, and uh, it's fantastic. We have a signature bourbon cream chicken dish. Mm-hmm. That we give the chef uh, a lot of leeway on, so we're looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dave Sweet Sweet Tooth strikes again, so we'll have sweet potato casserole with a honey bourbon glaze over it. Yeah. Um, so it's a full dinner. Um, so you can wander around, taste as many whiskeys and samples and tastes as you'd like. And then we have a whole VIP lounge set up, and there will be about 34, 35 different whiskeys there. 25-year-old Glen, uh, Glen Farkless, uh, hand-select bourbons, a lot of single barrels, um, 18-year-old uh, um, Belle Blair, Old Pulteney, uh, a lot of scotches in that 18- to 21-year range. Um, mm. Aberfeldy, which is one of the single malts that goes into Dewar's. You're gonna, but we have a 21-year-old uh, barrel uh, bottle in there. Sounds like so. you're hanging around with a lot of 18 to 21-year-olds. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's really bad. When, well, okay, there's there's another joke in there. <laughs> you know, um, we won't go this family radio. Um, Not necessarily, but go ahead. <laughs> um, but anyway, so it's it's a fantastic evening. What we've tried to do is is making an, an, a complete evening out. Mm-hmm. And even especially for new whiskey drinkers, and I, I want to say everyone is worried about putting whiskey. We put whiskey, uh, a little bit of water in that first whiskey because it was a bit hot. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to add water to the whiskey. The wrong way to drink whiskey is the way that somebody else tells you that you don't like. That is great advice. The, Although I will tell you, I think the whiskey would be really good in the chocolate. Yeah, it would be good in oh, oh, I guarantee you. Really try good it? Mix. Yeah. <laughs> Can't hurt to try it. Okay. Let's see. All right. Let's so see what happens. Tell everybody where they can find you, please, online, where they can get tickets, where they can find you. If you're on Instagram, on Instagram as it's, well. It's whiskeyandbarrelnight.com. Really mm-hmm. And we got funny, so you can spell night, N I T E, or traditional night uh, Mm -hmm. because we had to be difficult right Right. so whiskeyandbarrelnight.com we're on facebook whiskey and barrel night um just about everywhere uh it's about 100 bucks for a general admission about 140 for a vip there's a handful of vips left they'll be sold out plus there's dinner and And then there's dinner and a great time even one tequila a couple rums and some cognac so if it uh uh, anything barrel age plus some very special things, and uh, I have a friend who does a lot in Oaxaca, so uh, that's our next endeavor is the mezcals and tequilas. Oh, so and maybe so you guys should so. talk. All right. Yeah. So the last question is, go. how great no, was it to, to grow up with the last name of Sweet? Okay. I just have to say. Okay. So sweet. It's a good thing I'm six feet and 200 plus <laughs> <Yeah>. pounds. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. Before I wrap up the show, so you don't interrupt me, would you like to make a statement? As you no, like I to? just my my statement well, is 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 about Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a bloody mess, and they need all the support they can get. And the best we can do is just, folks, is open up our wallets and send money to through the Red Cross and other organizations to help. World Central Kitchen. Five million people okay. who are displaced. Great. Uh, and it is important. Everything you heard here today, you can find on the list, areyouonit.com. Of course, you can find every food and wine event on the list, areyouonit.com. You do want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all the fabulous things that are going on in the D.C. metro area and some of my travel adventures as well. Uh, lastly, uh, 
listen, the masks are off. It's very exciting. Uh, but there is a tick up of COVID. I think everybody in this room knows somebody who has it. Um, so just be careful out there. Remember, there are still staff shortages. There are still supply shortages. So everybody, please take your kindness pill. Nobody's looking to ruin your evening. Everybody wants you to have a good time. You just have to be in the vibe for it. Okay? So uh, be careful out there. And everyone, please have a delicious week. <laughs> <laughs>